Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk. First, let me say thank you so much for being a listener. Now, I want to alert you to our shiny new podcast website located at podpage.com. However, you can go directly to the podcast site located at www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. There, you can contact me through email. You can leave a voice message. You can leave a review. You can read an episode blog and frequently learn about the podcast guests. You might also want to suggest podcast topic ideas or even suggest a guest. You can also let me know if you would like to receive our podcast listener logo that you can post on your social media. So I look forward to hearing from you about our new podcast website, www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Public Relations Review Podcast and have a great day. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our listeners across America and around the world. And also, let me say this. This is our 50th show for the one and a half years we've been producing this podcast. So thank you to the the listeners for your continued support. Now, according to projections from the well-respected Pew Research Center and U.S. Census, minorities will constitute the majority of the population in the United States around the year 2050. According to Pew, whites will make up 47% in 2050. However, the combination of Hispanics, African Americans, Asians, and other non-white groups will give the non-white groups 53% of the population by 2050. So, from a public relations standpoint, how do you prepare to effectively communicate with diverse populations? What are the essential steps to be taken to ensure no cultural missteps are taken? And how do you gain trust with these diverse groups? My guests today are two of the three partners of the Cultural Shift Team with headquarters here in Nashville, Tennessee. And they are Ann Gillespie and Marcella Gomez. Ladies, welcome to the program. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much for inviting us. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for being here. So let me start off uh, with the question, how do organizations begin to effectively communicate and penetrate diverse groups? Peter, you know, we have, uh, well, I have 30 years of experience doing this and with our entire team, we have more than 60 years of experience, combined experience working in minority markets. And like any other marketing and public relations outreach, the first thing that you need to do is know your audience. And so that's a very important factor. And when we're talking about minority markets, we have to be careful that we don't group all of them into one demographic because even only in the Latino population or Latinx population, we come from 22 different countries, have different cultures as well, even though the common denominator among us uh, could be uh, Spanish, even though uh, we all know that Colombians speak a little different than Mexicans and Argentinians, et cetera. So, but that is a big common denominator that we have. 
So I think the first thing that we would recommend is to definitely know your audience and, and create that target audience as detailed as possible. I'm going to let Anne explain to you the process that the courtship team takes with our tool called the Multicultural Lens and how to deter- determine who we are uh, targeting for a prospect client or for a client. Okay. Thanks, Marcella. You know, really it is about having a conversation and to have a conversation you need to build trust. So upon, you know, really knowing who your audience is, there are a couple of things in terms of culture that we'd like to pay attention to. One of those is, you know, hierarchy within that culture. Is it an egalitarian, casual culture? Is it a little more formal? Is it buttoned up? And who are the the leaders? Who are the voices that have influence with that audience? I think that's a good place to get started. Looking and then knowing how the audience experiences your product or service, how they interact with with that, what does it mean in their life, that cultural relevance is really important to understand so that you don't have a message that comes across yes, that it actually means something to them. So when you say how does your product or service, does that mean you just sit down with some representatives from that group or you take surveys? How do you go about ascertaining that information as you begin to move forward? Sure. So that, that's part of the conversation. Like a, you yourself know this, that in marketing, advertising, public relations, having focus groups and being on the ground is very important um, so that we don't assume that we know who the target audience is. Now, again, because we've had so many years of experience and, and everything that we do is data-driven, which is the, the second part of our, of our answer to you, is that you look at the census data, you also look at the American survey data. Once you start reaching out to that to influencers in that community, um, then you you start pinpointing who that audience is, what and, and just and pass them, if you will, through the multicultural lens, like Anne mentioned. You know, what is their culture, what is their um, identity, what what are the communication uh, styles that they like, etc. And so, and then we go down into focus groups or uh, surveys or interviews with folks so that we can better understand um, how they want to be communicated. And so, all of this takes us to the core of our business at the Cultureship Team, which is the Platinum Rule. And the Platinum Rule says that uh, to treat others as they want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And so, that definitely that definitely makes you takes you into getting to know the other person, right? It's not treating others as I want to be treated, but definitely helps you uh, treat others. We have a client in, in, uh, in Atlanta, outside Atlanta, that uh, manufactures ice cream. And it was one of our best and, and most delicious <laughs> projects that we did last year. Um, they are an American-owned company that produces ice cream, and they started producing ice cream for the Latino market, but they specifically uh, selected flavors and the name of the product and the image of the product, their logo and everything for that particular brand was very Mexican-driven. And and so when they came to us, they had already created everything and they just wanted to make sure that they were on the right track. And so we needed to, uh, they did not want to change anything, which was fine, but we, we wanted, we guide them into 
the understanding that their their brand, the flavors, the colors, etc., the name of the product was only directed or only known in the Mexican population. Mm-hmm. And of course, people who, you know, Epicureans that, that would, you know, have been traveling also to Mexico and want to relate more with that culture, but predominantly it was the whole project and the whole idea that they produced was directed to that population. And so we walked them through that process of saying, if you ever wanted to open the market in Miami, the Latino market in Miami, that brand and the majority of those flavors are not going to go well in the Miami market. Mm-hmm. So that's how, you know, just understanding that, that when you say, you know, how do you reach minorities, there's, there's, a, there's a group within a group within a group within a group, right? Mm-hmm. And so understanding that is very important. So how- it was really interesting with those, two, oh. with those two markets, the Epicurean and the Mexican-American market, two very different approaches, even for the same product. So with the Mexican-American, it was honor and tradition and heritage and remembering, you know, being in your grandmother's kitchen. For the Epicurean, it was more challenging, venture, casual, fun, two very different tones. Suppose you, how about smaller groups, <clears throat> and just say for, for sake of argument or discussion, let's maybe a Filipino group that approach, uh, that uh, someone says, we'd like to approach the Filipinos in our particular area. How do you identify somebody to help lead you or get you involved with that group to, to start that process? Sure. So what we do, and, and we, we have worked um, with, smaller uh, demographic groups as well in the U.S. Uh, we've been working uh, with the Takata Airbag Recall for almost two and a half years already and, and still doing that process of letting people know about the danger of having a recall airbag in their vehicle. And in, the, in South Florida, uh, one of the demographics was uh, or is the Haitian population. And then in Houston, it's the Vietnamese population. Mm-hmm. And so our approach is to first make a list of community partners, community organizations like chambers of commerce, um, nonprofit organizations that serve that community, churches, uh, media outlets as well, and then we start establishing relationships with them. It is very important that you don't go in demanding something or asking them to work for free for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very important that you build the relationship, that you spend time building that relationship, that you actually join the chamber or join, you know, do a, give a donation to the church and, and then obviously uh, educate them first, right? It's, it's important for the leadership of those organizations to know what is the information and the, you know, the purpose of why you're partnering with them. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it, we do that everywhere that we go. We have people on the ground as well. Then we ask, uh, like, for example, we did a project in Grand Prairie, Texas a couple of years ago, and we became to the chamber of Grand Prairie. We And then we asked them if they could recommend someone who could be, our, you know, boots on the ground person. We, we ask them if they could recommend vendors so that we can do some printing locally. And so it's also, you know, uh, sewing, you know, just giving back to the community or, or making sure that we're working with people, that people who are local. So the basic process is simply to make certain that you have the right people on the ground from that group to help guide you and give you the information and put you in touch with the people that you need to be in touch with. But 
the, the primary goal for them is to give you guidance as to what is and is not acceptable in this process. Yes, and I'm, I'm going to ask Anne to talk about how that also builds trust between you and, and the community. Okay. Annie? Sure. So, you know, as you talk, to, if, as you have someone who's local on the ground, it's really important that they understand what you're trying to accomplish, too. So there's some time that you need to invest into sharing that product, that service, or that message. And you can imagine with the Takata airbag recall, it was a little complex because the call to action is, you know, take your car to a dealer where maybe you haven't even purchased the car and have them service your vehicle and trust that they're going to do the recall. Especially if recalls aren't even in your vernacular or really in your life experience if you're a first generation immigrant. Uh, and so building trust, you know, Marcella said, doing business with local vendors for printing, that tells, that sends a message through your actions about the relationship and why it's important to you. And it's one of those cultural filters that Marcella mentioned through our cultural lens is relationships. Are you a transactional person or are you a relationship person? What's your work style? And we find a lot of our cultures are relationship-based. Mm -hmm. And so we know that we have to make those deposits, build those relationships before we can ask or get down to business on the exchange. And so having that infrastructure in the community is really key. Doing business, you're going to get insights from our vendors too. You know, asking questions from the small business that printed our, our pop-up banner. Who else should we be talking to? Help us get another radio interview. Well, I think that's all. That, that's very interesting to hear. Um, how do you, when you say get a radio interview, uh, suppose there is a language barrier. Is there someone you have there to, to translate things for you? We do it all ourselves in-house, and that's the benefit of working with the Coursership team is that we are able to do, um, we, we, you know, when we are reaching out to the Latino community, Spanish-speaking community, then we do it all ourselves. We uh, now have, we're, we're going to start a project in California that has a large population of Chinese uh, demographic. And so we actually hired a, an intern right now that um, is helping us with marketing research, public relations, and language preference so that we can go out to that market. So we are very careful about who we partner with and who we, we bring into our team because we understand that it's not the, the biggest barrier that we encounter. And even someone like myself who is foreign born and has lived in the U.S. for, for a while, it's not only language but culture. So mm -hmm. we definitely want to make sure that the person, the people who we hire to work with us, to reach out to different communities, understands uh, are either part of the culture, for sure, that would be like the number one, um, or someone who has uh, lived in that culture for a while and understands it and also knows the language. One of the things, for example, that we are currently working on as we go into California to work on the Takara airbag recall is that uh, we are translating everything and, and, and doing everything in the traditional Chinese and simplified Chinese. And that's something that I would not have known three months ago that, that we had to do that. But having that expert in our team um, who can guide us through that process is very important. We don't take anything for granted. We don't take in everything as, oh, we know about that um, because we don't, right? But we do know the process and we know what are the factors that 
what make it successful and how to work through those factors. Um, and anything else? No, I think you. I think you hit on something really important. And author King, Barbara Kingsolver has something to the effect of it's the thing you don't know about somebody that's the most important. So making sure that we don't have any assumptions or that we're challenging our own assumptions is definitely important to mm -hmm. our work. Based on the fact that there's so many, and, and I'll sort of stick with the Chinese, but aren't there different uh, groups of Chinese or subgroups of Chinese? And if so, how do you na navigate that particular set of circumstances? Yeah, so it, that's exactly the conversation that we've been having. And so having our expert on board, again, telling us that we uh, have to translate the information to simplify Chinese, tra traditional Chinese, and which groups um, you know, in China can read and understand one or the other and how they communicate. Um, and also, as we as we go into the into the market, then obviously um, having the acculturation level of this person and then persons on the ground that we will begin to have that conversation with, because it's you know we have to also have that liaison or liaisons that understand the American culture and also understand the culture that we're going into because we, you know, we have to follow certain rules and guidelines from um, the clients. And in this case, in this particular case from the recall that we're doing. Um, so we can't, you know, we have to be very careful of, of, on how we communicate things and what we can do and not do. So acculturation is a key factor um, of, of the people that we work with and even ourselves. And acculturation is, you know, when someone moves into a new culture, we go through different phases of that. So we go from isolation to being, uh, you know, a little bit more comfortable with the culture. And so we also put our demographic, once we, we do the data-driven approach, we look at the data, I'm sorry, then we look at the culture uh, that they come from, that they prefer, then we also look at in which acculturation level they are to the American culture and how we can look for people who can help us in those different steps. Mm -hmm. Where are the influencers, you know, wh you know, where are the organizations, who the organizations are helping. And when we have to do uh, something that is in two or three or four different languages, we also do everything in English because someone like myself who has been in the United States for more than, 26 years, even though I'm Latina and I speak Spanish as my first language, I listen to uh, I, I, all of the, my media consumption is in English. So we want to make sure that we also are, um, you know, like Anne said, we don't assume that because my last name is Gomez that I'm only going to listen to Spanish mm -hmm. language media. So we make sure that everything is in, in different languages as well, including English. Just out of curiosity, what has perhaps been the most difficult means of communication that that you have run through and I'm or run into? And I ask that question because when I think of communications, I'm thinking newspapers, radio, TV, and perhaps the internet. Have you run across something that's been completely different and foreign to you in terms of reaching a particular uh, foreign group? That's actually our specialty, Peter. We're also always reaching out to the hardest to reach your demographic. <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> yeah, and so you're right. It's not, you know, uh, that's why we have to be on the ground because mm -hmm. when you're 
when you're sitting in your office, whether it's Nashville, New York, or Miami, um, you know, you can't really know what's happening on the ground. You can make assumptions. But when we go into these communities, um, you know, some of them don't open their email for a week or two weeks, right? And we're talking in the United States. We're not talking outside because that's a whole different monster. Uh, but, for example, in, in the, minor, the majority of the minority foreign markets like the Latinos and the Haitians and, you know, some of the Vietnamese that we have worked with, they only communicate via this app called WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. And they do business through WhatsApp. And they only, and so you see all this. So we had to, when we started the, the Takata Airbag Recall campaign, we created some of our video messaging in 10 and 15 second videos that would be able to be shared via WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's something that it's not very common in the U.S. market, um, but definitely making sure that that we understood what the market was doing. And, and, and a lot of it is also being on the ground, going to the churches. Uh, you know, not everybody's on Facebook, not everybody's on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> You know, so, so how, do we, mm-hmm. how do we get to everyone? And so that's why we use also the English language, because as you know, in the majority of the minority markets, uh, people live in combined households, generation where you have the teenager, then you have the parents and you have the grandparents, or maybe you have a great uncle or aunt who lives there. So it's very important to us that we reach everyone in the family. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll add to that. One thing that was really eye-opening for me during the Takata Airbag campaign was really understanding the the scope or the limits of social media and how, you know, you can have a conversation with a, a Spanish-speaking community, but at a certain point when it's time to take action, we had to really rely on our community ambassadors who were there at our 1-800 number, our toll-free number, so that the person who was going to take action had a trusted individual on our end that they could count on to get information. Mm-hmm. So it was great that the social media got us so far, but at that point where it came to take action, we had to switch and make sure that we were being extremely relational and really supporting the actions that the vehicle owners were taking. Well, you know, this has been very, very enlightening. And I'm just wondering, let's say as we begin to wrap this up, if you have any sort of closing comments or advice for for our listeners who uh, may be in this position that they need to penetrate uh, some uh, some uh, non-diverse uh, markets uh, wherever they happen to be. Sure, I'll start and then we'll go to Anne. But I think the, the first thing that I would say is that it is, just to remind everyone that it is the year 2020 and that if uh, reaching out and uh, having as part of your entire company strategy, uh, you know, plan reaching out to diverse communities, then you're going to be out of the game in 10, 15 years. Just by the census data alone, um, we just talk here in Nashville, Tennessee. I know that your podcast goes everywhere in the world, but when we look at Nashville, Tennessee, uh, we know that in about 10 years, uh, the Latino population is going to be about 32% of the population. Mm-hmm. And so that we continue to grow and increase. The number one, if you're not considering uh, any other minority market, not even the Latino population, uh, you definitely need to do that just by the numbers alone. Secondly is 
you know, don't be afraid of the market. Just because you don't know how to do it doesn't mean that you cannot reach out to someone who can help you with it. But don't make any assumptions. And definitely the things that I think you, Peter, and I who have worked in other, uh, have partnered before for different, for different campaigns as well, is to make sure that people vet their partners uh, and just don't hire someone who just, who only speaks Spanish or someone who lived in Mexico for two years. Uh, at the beginning when we started our business, I, I, the, you know, our, my biggest competitor was someone who had taken Spanish in high school. <laughs> and so <laughs> companies would hire that person to translate their marketing pieces. And mm-hmm. we've known a lot, a lot of faux pas because of that, including the gut meal campaign, which was translated into, are you lactating? when they did it in Spanish. And so just bet, you know, make sure you bet your partners and make sure that your partners have a marketing background and a marketing degree at least so that they know what they're doing. Um, but don't be afraid of reaching out and, and, you know, and looking for other opportunities in, in minority markets. Annie? Yeah, I would just add that, you know, the, the best time to plant a tree is 100 years ago. So I think companies in the U.S. have this, instant gratification mindset and they've got to do the investing in their communication infrastructures in the community. It's not volunteering. It's not a throwaway activity. It's going to be more and more critical every day moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies, thank you so very, very much. Again, uh, my guests today have been Marcella Gomez and uh, Ann Gillespie, uh, members of the Culture Shift Team. So again, thank you so very much for uh, providing us with this insight and guidance as uh, the uh, our world becomes more diverse. And uh, now we have some at least guidance as to how to get started to uh, be effective in that uh, in that effort. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Great. And uh, to my listeners, uh, thank you again. And please uh, stay tuned and uh, join us for the very next edition of the Public Relations Review. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us. Hi, this is Peter Woolfolk speaking. Now, first of all, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. Now, I am very excited to let you know that the podcast is now available on Amazon Alexa. You know the drill. Simply say, Alexa, play Public Relations Review Podcast, and she'll take it from there. And again, thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the program, please become a subscriber. Now, on to the podcast.